0: tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 and uh, Pastor Kevin started it last week and I'm going to read verses 18 through 30. Um, uh, Romans 8 is very very dear to me the whole chapter. It was the um, when I first got saved I began memorizing scripture and when I remember reading Romans and I got to Romans chapter 8 and it so spoke to me and it so ministered to me as a new creation in Christ and um and, and some of y'all that don't know my history and testimony, like, I, I came out of the sewer. You know, I don't know if y'all read that Paul Washer quote this week. Oh, I, I about died. And I was like, that was me. I have a zeal for God because I came out of the sewer. And so this, this really ministered me. And so Romans chapter 8 was the first, um, actually the first chapter of the Bible that I memorized. I would just sit and just memorize God's word. And so um, let's go ahead and start reading this in verse 18. I'm going to read verses 18 through 30. And it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance." Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknow, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, then He called, whom He he called, those he justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So what does this mean? So Paul is saying here, whatever suffering we endure because of Jesus in this present age is nothing when compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us when Christ returns. The sufferings of this life then have no weight at all when we step into our eternal inheritance. And who better to tell us this than the Apostle Paul? And we know Paul was very well acquainted with suffering. And 1 Corinthians four nine through thirteen says, For I think that God has displayed us the apostles last as men condemned to death, for we have made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, you are strong, you are distinguished, we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted we endure, being defamed we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offspring of all things until now. Now, go on, he tells them later, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. I don't know why he just doesn't say 39. <laughs> <laughs> Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. The night and day I've been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches... Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is made to stumble, and do I not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which confirm my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. So, my first point Is that suffering is inevitable. If you live on this earth, you're going to suffer. It's inevitable. And this is what he's telling you is, is that in this life you will suffer. You're you're just you're gonna suffer. In fact, those in Christ are actually appointed to suffer. Philippians 1.29, for you, to you it has been granted. Now this word granted um, actually is appointed, but it's kind of like an appointed as, as an appointee as a privilege. It's a privilege. So when he says granted it's a privilege of Christ. Not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. So he said you are granted this privilege. So we can't escape suffering. We're not going to escape it. But how do you view it? Because the problem that I see with suffering is that most people fear death in their suffering. Because suffering produces that, what's going to happen to me in this? What's going to happen to my family in this? What's going to happen in this, right? And it always goes back into that fear of bondage. And Hebrews 2 tells us this. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So the ultimate fear that we have is the fear of death. Right. And if you, you, go, you peel back the suffering, there's a fear of death of something. Right. Yeah. Right. And he says, when you fear death, you're in bondage. Yeah. Good. So to fear death, you're in bondage. Yeah. Right. Okay? So, and, and uh, a lot of people, Christians included, really have a skewed vi- view of life and death. And we have uh, made life and, and this longevity on this earth as an idol. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really an idol. And you, you see why the fear is so rampant right now and everything like that. Because that, that this idea that we're just going to live forever and inhabit this earth. And the, the true nature of it is is that you have planted roots in the world instead of in your heavenly places. And so you have a fear of death. What's going to happen to me? Or if I die, what's going to happen to my kids? And what's going to happen to my grandkids? And what's going to happen? It's a fear of death. And and the writer of Hebrews tells us this keeps us in bondage. It's bondage. And Christ redeemed us from bondage. So we could be set free. So we don't have to live in bondage to anything. Not our sin, not our flesh, not fear. So Paul says that the proper way to view suffering, then, is to weigh it in balance to eternity right. yes. and the glory that we will have with him one day. He sees it as a balance, and if anybody remembers the old scales or balance, or maybe you had that and whoever took chemistry class, right? I was a biology major. I had to take a lot of organic chemistry. I loved organic chemistry. That thing was super fun. We made a bunch of crazy things. I feel like a mad scientist sometimes. But you know you would have balances and stuff you'd have to weigh things and it, whoever remembers that and he says if you put your suffering on the balance to the glory there's it is not equal he said it's not equal at all the balance falls i mean glory just overcomes the suffering yeah. it, there's 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 no comparison there at all yeah. Yeah. so why do we still fear death cuz we've yet to realize that glory that will be revealed. And we're not the only ones suffering because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve. Thanks, guys. All of creation is waiting for God's redemption. This is what he says, that the entire creation groans. means earth is groaning, the plants are groaning, the uh, animals are groaning. Now, the world would call this global warming and climate change. And I'm like, oh, no. It's the groaning of the earth. The earth is groaning. Why is the earth groaning? Because the effects of sin on the earth, on the animals, the entire system is malfunctioning and it's miserable right along with us. They're waiting for the relief to come. So Isaiah the prophet, he described this. What will happen when the curse is reversed? It'll affect the animal and plant world. It'll be trans, uh, dramatically transformed. Isaiah 116 through 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Who ever heard of that? The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The, young, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The cow and bear together? The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the vipers den how about that they shall not hurt nor destroy in on my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea going on to uh, chapter 55 for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace the mountains and the hills shall break forth in singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands of that song inside of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree and inside, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree and it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut up so Isaiah here with clarity with, with just, just showing us one day this is what the earth's going to look like that's a promise of scripture And the wonderful thing about Scripture is that when you study prophetic Scripture, every prophecy has been fulfilled. So then you know that every prophecy will be fulfilled. Because if it's been fulfilled, it will be fulfilled. So we know one day this is coming. And so God right now has temporarily allowed the creation then to suffer until the day that Messiah will come and rule over the whole thing, and it will all be transformed. This is what we are eagerly awaiting. But currently, it's as a woman in agony and the pain of childbirth. And all the women said, ooh, (laughs) that have had children with no drugs. (laughs) That's what the earth is doing. It's groaning. The suffering of creation is real. This is not a meaningless theological theological point that he's trying to make here. He said, This is God sees this enormous pain of creation and he will not let it go on forever. Right. So we're going to suffer because we're part of creation. We're part of this fallen world. We're going to suffer. But it's just what are you going to do in your suffering? See suffering should draw us nearer to Christ. Yes. Okay. So the same way creation is growing, we believers, we are growing, we are groaning inside of us too because we're suffering. Yeah. Cuz the Holy Spirit's been given to us and and he's here and he's our guide and he comforts us and he teaches us and he and he guides us in this world, but we but the Holy Spirit lives in a dying body made of rebellious flesh. Yeah. I think Pastor Matt said it, you know, every one of our bodies has an expiration date. Our body is broken and it's dying. So the Holy Spirit then is living inside broken, fleshly, rebellious bodies. We still wake up every day to a sinful world full of sorrow and death. If you're here, you woke up this morning and you're in a sinful world that's full of sorrow and full of death. And we've been told to expect Temptation, spiritual opposition, and persecution for our faith. We're told to expect these things. Faith in Christ does not mean we escape all the painful trials of life. So like all of creation, we are groaning and we're eagerly awaiting the day when our adoption in Christ will be complete. So in this suffering, it should draw us nearer to Christ. Now, I remember um, on a, um, back when we were uh, early church planters and the kids were young and we had some really, really rough years, had a lot of panic attacks. For those of you that don't know my history, I came out of um, I was, uh, just sexually abused as a child. My mom gave me marijuana when I was nine and I did drugs and I OD'd um, when I was 17. So I came out of sex and drugs and um, abuse and, and all this sort of nonsense. And I, when I say I came out of the sewer, I came out of the sewer. And so at this point in, in, in um, our ministry and, and taking care of small kids and having, and I, I was having some tra- some trauma, I was having some uh, reoccurring um, p- traumatic s- uh, things going on in my body, I was having panic attacks, I was having a really, really hard time. And um, I remember one Sunday, uh, a lady just looked at me and she was, are you okay? And and I just broke down. I said, no, I'm not okay. And she said, come to church with me tonight. And we didn't have Sunday night church at that point. And she attended this um, prayer meeting at another church on a Sunday night. And I said, yes, I will go, please. I I need help. And so we went to this church and I remember sitting there and I literally, now listen, I know the voice of my Lord. And the Bible says that, Those that follow him know his voice. And I was sitting there in the congregation. and The Lord said, if you want, if you want to be healed tonight, run to the altar right now. And literally there was nothing going on up here. Some guy was up here talking over here and there was no music. There was like, and I was like, are you kidding me right now, Lord? And he said it one more time. And I knew he was only going to tell me twice. I knew. And I ran to the altar and I just broke down crying. And people started surrounding me, and they started playing music. I mean, it was really, it was kind of a crazy experience. People started um, coming up here, and they started worshiping, and people were surrounding me. And it was one of the times I can tell you that I had a heavenly vision. And I can't explain it to you. I can't tell you what I saw. I just knew that I was translated to a different place. It's crazy. It's supernatural. Um, but I, but I remember that. And I thought, well, this isn't real. And and the time I was like, what is going on? This is crazy. Oh my gosh, this is wild. Whatever. So I went home that night, and my husband's sitting there with um, Pastor Christian. You all know Pastor Christian. He was young at the time; it was just a young man. And I walked in, and he goes, "Crystal, your face is glowing like Moses." And I was like, "It is." <laughs> and I, I just, and I was like, it was real. I and I knew it was real, but you know, God just had this manifestation. And that, that time of suffering drew me close, so close to the Lord, so much that I ran to his presence that I didn't care about what anybody thought about me. I didn't care about anything but being in the presence of the Lord. I needed a healing. I needed to touch his garment and I was going to get there no matter what. And because I did that, that, that vision has stayed with me and stuck with me ever since. God allowed me to get a glimpse of heaven. And it's funny because my husband always tells me, he said, you want to die. (laughs) Do you not say that? And I said, yeah, because I had a glimpse. I had a glimpse. So I don't fear death. And in fact, the Lord had to tell me to stop praying to die. (laughs) Cause I would, my husband even said, "Will you stop praying that, please? I need you here." It's true. Is it not true? It's a true story. But suffering drew me near to the Lord. And Hebrews five eight says, "Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered." And suffering will either draw you near to the throne for comfort or you'll be drawn into seeking your own solution. You'll be drawn to seek your own solution, your own comfort, your own help apart from Christ. And, and you know, folks, it's your choice. It's really your choice because you can freak out and lose your mind or you can seek the comfort and solace in the arms of Jesus. I like that. You can get better or you can get bitter. And God is molding to himself a family that are like Christ in character and appearance. Jeremiah 18, one through 6, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah... From the Lord says, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And I went to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the will. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, Look, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel. So if you ever worked with clay, you know that when it remains wet, it's pliable. But... If you let it dry out, you can't shape it at all. Right? And so we, we, we allow ourselves to be as useful as we can be. We are as useful as we allow the potter to make us. So we can be useful in his hands and we can allow him to mold us and change us and shape us. And, you know, I mean, y'all, you ever watch someone like carve something with a, with a, you know, uh, the clay, and they got a little carving knife even, and they're doing, the I mean, I'm mean, like, that can't, that can't feel good. No, right. And I just imagine the Lord doing that on us, of just the yeah. scraping away things, and, like, and I was like, oh, that hurts, Lord. And he's like, just stay still. Yeah. I'm doing something here. Yeah. Because what he's doing is, right, he's producing us more to be more like Christ. Yeah. Because when we become more like Christ, that's the purpose of, He's fulfilling that purpose in us is to be a people who are like Christ. And so we can can just give into his hands and say, Lord, mold me, shape me, change me. Or we can fight the process and it makes us stiff-necked and rebellious. And then we're useless. We're just hardened lumps of clay. That's not good for anything. Because suffering identifies us with Christ. Suffering and pain have a purpose, and it's not for nothing. It's not for anything. God does, God does not waste pain. He doesn't waste suffering. Suffering identifies us with Christ. Yes. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, it says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who are before you. And John, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Yes. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the words that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And I remember... During this time of suffering, when I, was, when I was so suffering so much, when I was going through all this trauma in my body, when I was having these problems and had young kids and starting a ministry and trying to be a good wife, all these things, the Lord spoke to me and said, Crystal, you will be hated for my namesake. And I'm like, great. <laughs> Not only am I suffering and I'm having a hard time and I feel like I, you know, I'm dying here, Lord, now you're telling me that I'm going to be hated. But you know, I, I look at my, I look back at my life, and my, my, my whole life prepared me for this time, because I was an outcast from the time I was a child. I, I, I was an outcast from the time I was a child. I was, I was always an outcast. I was an outcast everywhere I went. I never fit in anywhere. I can remember in junior high. I was thinking about this in junior high, and, um, you know, uh, my mom was just a hippie. We moved around all the time, and we would move in with, uh, we would move in with men and and women, and we would just, I mean, it was crazy living, and so I went to many different schools all the time, and um, it's funny, because people look at me now, and I guess, I guess I look a certain way, and they're like, oh, were you a cheerleader in high school, and I'm like, what, are you crazy? (laughs) I was all, you know, I I mean, sorry, but I was like, that was me, I was hanging out behind the school, you know? (laughs) <laughs> but I, I remember, I remember this one time in junior high, and I had gone to probably four different schools in one year. This one year, just my mom dragging me around and stuff like that. And I remember, I remember sitting on the bathroom floor eating lunch, crying, because I was an outcast. I was an outcast. I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't have any money. I didn't have the clothes. I, I, you know, I didn't look the part. I, I didn't I didn't fit in with anybody. I fit in with the, the one group. They just take anybody that, you know, hey, come on, right? So I was like, "Okay, God, I can I can wear that cuz that's nothing new to me. I, I I've been prepared. I've been preparing for this my whole life." See, we are not alone in our groaning. It says the Holy Spirit groans within us. And the Holy Spirit too is waiting for the adoption of our bodies. So until we die or the resurrection takes place, we live, we live in our bodies, right? We live out our days in aging bodies. We wrestle with rebellious flesh. We fight spiritual wickedness in a fallen world. But our greatest weakness is not our bodies, our flesh, or the world. It's the poor quality of our prayer life. Amen because Paul says we're weak because we don't know what to pray for as we ought to and James kind of said the same thing so you don't know what to pray for as you ought to so we tend to ask for the wrong things not the things God wants to accomplish in us I mean who, who prays the prayer God let me suffer for you let me be hated for your namesake I mean somebody might say that I mean that, that's kind of a you know I, I don't know I never prayed that but I felt like okay God if you want me to Paul tells us that because the Lord searches our heart, the Holy Spirit makes an intercession for us with words that cannot be uttered. And so we can be sure that God hears our prayers because our hearts are under the leadership of the Spirit and we are yearning to obey His will. So even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us he says, it's okay. I'm going to pray for you because I know what to pray because you don't, you don't, you're just dumb. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> you you don't know how to pray, right? You asked for the wrong things. Yep. So I'm going to pray for you. Yeah. I'm going to pray for you. And so the prayers that the Holy Spirit prays for us then are to obey the will of God and to have God's way. Let him have his way in his life. And so we can be confident then that even in the most difficult trials, God himself is intervening on our behalf to cause our situation to be for our good. Which is to be more like Christ. That's what our good is. Suffering is to make us more like Christ. And you need to hear this because you need to embrace your trials. You need to embrace the suffering because it's making you more like Christ. And that's God's will for us. That we would die to ourselves and be more like him every day. Scripture tells us that we should rejoice in our sufferings because God is molding us and shaping us into something beautiful and something useful and something purposeful. Don't you want to be used of the master? And then suffering produces in us this hope that we do not yet see And Paul chooses this word first fruit to give us perspective. And and the the agrarian society here would understand that first fruit from the Exodus generation onward that God required his people to to present them with a small portion from the first cutting or the picking of the season's harvest. It was just a small amount. It was just a small amount. It was that first fruit. But it was the beginning of a great harvest that was to come. And it was acknowledging God as the source of of their provision. So God here is saying he wants us to remember that there is much more of the spirit yet to come. We only have a first fruit of the spirit. Why? Because we know in part, we prophesy in part. The spirit then is like an earnest money in a real estate transaction. Pastor Kevin will be really familiar with earnest money in a real estate transaction, right? It's the money you put down saying, I'm going to buy this house. And if you don't buy the house, you lose the money. But the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm going to purchase you one day. I'm going to fulfill that purchase. I'm giving you a first fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you an earnest down payment because one day I'm going to fulfill that purchase. So we have this hope and this promise that one day we will be in the full presence of light, of joy, of peace, of comfort. My favorite book, and most of you all know this. What's my favorite book? Revelation. Revelation. Yeah. People that know me know that that's my favorite book. It's actually the first book of the Bible I ever read. It's the book that revealed Christ to me before I was even saved. And why I love Revelation and why I don't understand people don't love Revelation is because it is the one that displays Jesus high and lifted up. It displays him as king of kings and lord of lords he is on his throne all things are put under him it's the consummation of all things it is my hope It is my hope. I I don't care about all the nonsense leading up to that. Who cares what we have to go through? In this world, you will have tribulation. Who cares what it looks like? You're going to have tribulation. It doesn't matter what I have to go through. I'm going to be with him one day. That's my hope. And it shows me my hope. It reveals his glory, his holiness, his majesty, and my heritage with him. Revelation 21. I'm going, to, I'm going to read a couple verses. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. He showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of the heaven of God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Look, I'm already there. The <laughs> The city. <laughs> the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine. For the glory of God illuminates it. For the Lamb is its light. Can you just imagine what that's going to be like? And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it and its gates shall not be shut at all by day and there shall be no night there. So Paul, hope here is a special kind of faith. It's a special type of faith where he says, this is the hope. We have hope for what we do not see. So faith then is the confidence that God keeps his promises, right? We know that, that I believe that God will do what he said he would do, and I act accordingly, right? And so we have, we have faith in different areas. We have faith for salvation, we have faith for healing, faith for, for provision, faith for protection. But the hope that Paul is talking about specifically right here is a specific kind of of hope to overcome suffering. And it's a, it's a specific subject of God's future kingdom. When the day when the glory of our salvation will fully arrive. And I will look upon the face of the one that I love. That's the We have this hope that we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It's a specific hope. Of God's future kingdom, where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more struggling. Folks, heaven is real, it's a real place, and hell is real. And we are trained by grace to look forward to that day. Titus 2 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. See, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness in the world. Grace teaches us. So if, it, if the grace that you have received is not teaching you to deny ungodliness, deny worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, it's not the grace of God. And looking for the blessed hope. What hope? This hope. This hope. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what grace teaches us. To look away from sin in the world. To be looking and expecting this blessed hope in Christ. Because during this present age our salvation is incomplete. It's incomplete. Our bodies have not yet been resurrected. Resurrected. Anybody here wake up today and your bones still hurt? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. every day my bones crack when I get out of bed. The earth is still held captive by the curse. We still wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. We still cannot see Jesus face to face. We cannot know him as we are known. But one day, one day... One day we will stand in a resurrected immortal body and we will behold Jesus face to face. Death and sorrow and sin will have passed away and we will glorify God and we will enjoy Him forever. And on that day our waiting will end and our full inheritance will arrive and this hoping will cease. But this is in the future. So this faith then to overcome contains this hope. It's the hope that I will endure the entire course of my life to see him one day. First Corinthians 13 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as I am known. See, everything right now is in part. Everything here is in part. Why? Because we just have an earnest. We have an earnest of the... We, have, we just have the first fruit of the Spirit. We don't have the fullness of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians, while we do not look at things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are not seen are temporary, but the things which, are, uh, things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That is our hope. We cannot see these things that are eternal yet. Paul then goes, those whom God foreordained, and many people have mistranslated this. God did not determine person by person that he would appoint some to heaven and some to hell. This teaching negates the character of God. I'm telling you right now, this teaching negates the character of God. He determined what a person must do to be saved. And he foreknow who would respond appropriately. A person is called to a certain position. You can be called... A person can be called to a certain position. But God's calling is a genuine invitation to all humans. However, God requires us to come on his terms. Not ours. And since his way greatly conflicts with human pride... Because he requires repentance and faith, many refuse the call. There is a foreordained family of God. See, God determined to save a people in Christ. And in the Old Testament, it was Israel. In the New Testament, it's in Christ. Think of it this way. That there is a ship that's predestined for heaven. And, And on this ship is it's been foreordained that this ship would go to heaven and that whoever was on this ship was going to heaven. To get on this ship, you have to be in Christ. That's your entry. It's through the blood of the Lamb. And you can be on that ship. It's predestined for heaven. So you're predestined for heaven as long as you stay on that ship. But you can also jump off the ship. The Bible has a word for it. It's called apostasy. It means to depart from the faith. So the ship's still predestined for heaven. The family that's on it, it's still going to heaven. It's just whether or not you're going to be a part of that. He foreordained that a great family would be created from Christ, made up of people who are holy in character, resurrected in body like his son. And to produce this family, he issued a call to the whole human race to come to him by repentance and faith. This call has been given to every generation, and in every generation, there are those who accept it and those who reject it. Because of pride, people refuse to acknowledge their spiritual need and to humble themselves. Because if anyone believes they're righteous by their own efforts, they will find it difficult to receive his righteousness as a gift. Why do you think the enemy is working so hard on today's kids to tell people you're good? Right. We are not good. No. We are not good. This is, why, this is why the call is going out because it's, I'm good. And our natural tendency then is to try harder to be good instead of humble yourself and repent. Amen. Instead of omitting your attitude and behavior and it falls hopelessly short of God's standards, you justify your actions. Because yes. only those who are willing to come to him on his terms will be saved. In the end, those who are excluded only have themselves to blame. We are fordained, Those who have been fordained, we are justified. Those who respond to his call, then, he imparts the righteousness of Christ to our lives, to each one of us as a free gift. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be justified. I am his righteousness. He imparts that to me as a gift. And lastly, we are glorified. Suffering in this world for Christ is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed with us one day. And this is our hope, is to be glorified. This refers to the entire transformation that will take place when we are resurrected including a glorious immortal new body which radiates God's visible glory, a new form of flesh that contains no sinful tendencies, and a moral character which is sinless and Christ-like. Paul uses this word to describe the finished product. He said you are glor- we are not yet glorified. So he says he also Glorified. One day, he's describing the finished product. One day, we will put on immortality. One day, we will step outside of this broken flesh. We will no longer have to fight our flesh. We won't have to fight against these things. We're not going to have to suffer. We're, we're going to put on immortality, and we will be glorified. And He says, that's the finished product. But I'm looking ahead, and I see the finished product, and I want you to have it as your goal and your vision, that your hope is one day that you are going to be glorified. In his presence. Those who are justified will be glorious in body and character. Before creating the world, God determined the steps needed to prepare humans to fellowship with him forever. And the final step is being glorified. The final act of separating us from everything which is mortal and fallen and raising us to the level of being like Christ. This is our hope. So in the midst of our suffering, we can rejoice because one day we will be glorified. See, God is working in us to make us a beautiful and glorious vessel. And we can rejoice in our suffering because God is working things out for your good. So you can rejoice in your suffering because you identify yourself with Christ. Paul said, but none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. The ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be the God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In the last scripture, and they overcame him, who? The enemy. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death Russ will you come play I always like to give you an opportunity tonight to respond to the message and so if the Lord spoke to you about anything let the Holy Spirit work on you in that let, let the Lord do his job in you Let the Holy Spirit work in you. Let him mold you. Let him shape you. Let him make you into that beautiful, purposeful, useful vessel for his glory. If you've been struggling to to have this hope, ask the Lord to renew your mind to this. Lord, show me. Show me this hope one day that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to see you face to face. Folks, this, this this is not a story. I'm not giving you a pretty picture of things. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. There's a beautiful, glorious place where the Lord is the light, and we will see him forevermore, and we will evermore be with him, and we will live with him and reign with him, and there will be no more suffering, and there'll be no more pain. Folks, but it's only through the blood of Christ. this is not your Lord and your Savior. And you can say, I, if I died right now, I don't know where I would go. And if you don't have that a full assurance, I want you to pray tonight. Lift your hands up to the heavens and say, Lord, save me. Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your grace. God, save me. Forgive me. Heal me. Make me new. And the Lord answers that prayer. Of the humble and contrite man. And he hears you. And he will answer you. And he will make you a new creation. Don't leave here without being changed. This is real. God is real. Christ is real. Heaven is real. And hell is real. And you do not have to go to hell. The Lord made a way for you to escape it. And guess what? If you're suffering, you're in good company. Lord, speak to your people tonight, God. Wrap your arms around those that need comfort. Lord, let them draw nearer to you. Those that have been running from you, God, let them turn around around and run back into your arms, Father. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Have your way in your people. And let us live with this hope, God. Renite, re, re, just renew that hope within us, God. This world is not our home. We have a heavenly home. We're just passing through. We can enjoy our life here now, God. But we have a greater eternity with you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, God. For everything you do for us, Lord. And we just love you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory online, would you please send us a message? Because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video, and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.